0: Isn't it uh, amazing here in church, obviously, we talk about and we know the reason for the season, but uh, it is so very commercial on the outside of it. Somebody's looking to make a buck. As I've been able to study, I believe it was in the first century when the Christians began to give each other gifts in some form or fashion. I'm sure we could argue that back and forth and whatever, but for over 2,000 years, or around 2,000 years it looks like Christians have given gifts to each other around this time of year. Predominantly for Christians to celebrate the birth of Christ, but as in anything, if somebody can make a dollar at it, well then it's commercialized. Now we even have Christmas in July so that we can make money and get our decorations or whatever it is and get ready. I think it's important for us to take time to understand each and every year what the birth of Christ means. And many more eloquent than me, before me, have gone over what we're going to go over this morning. And yet I want to take a look this morning at uh, three different points. The gift, the sacrifice, and the reflection. And as we go through it, I think you'll see each one of those things. Let's take a look at ourselves. Let's take a look at Jesus and what his gift to us has meant. If you would turn with me to Matthew, the second chapter. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. If you would stand with me uh, one more time. In honor of the word of God being read. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring word, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him too. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, Till it came and it stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity. We don't know if it'll be our last, but God, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house, to worship you, to open your word and to study it. God, we pray that you would bless the sermon that you've given this morning. God, that the people would not hear from me. They'd not hear from my stammering tongue, but through me, they would hear your word. God, that you would speak to each and every heart. They would hear what is meant for them this morning. We'll give you the honor, the glory, and the praise. We ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. That last phrase says, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Almost immediately after this, Herod tried to kill all the baby boys, and Jesus' parents took him and fled to Egypt. Nothing tells us this, but I can only imagine that the gifts that were given sustained them for the time they were in Egypt. For eventually he came back home and he became a carpenter. But God supplies. God takes care of our needs. And I thought that was important to see that and to understand that this time of year, the reason I read that scripture is so that we can once again realize that Jesus is the reason for the season. And I know that's an overused paraphrase, but he is the reason. There is no other reason for this season. There's no other reason for this time. But I can tell you this, in 1970, July the 6th, I was born, in case you want to send a card. Uh, take donations, by the way. So if you want to put money in it, that's fine too. Your gift card and whatever. And I'm not soliciting those. But Christmas of 1970, I didn't care anything about Jesus. In fact, for several after that. And then even as I was raised and and grew, my parents, the first, I'm assuming, week of my life, took me to church. And I was in church three times a week from then on. We never missed church. And yet I can tell you that as a child, I knew the Christmas story. I knew the whole story. I could quote some of it. I had had to learn my part every year, whether it was Scripture or for the church play or a school play in a Christian. I knew the story. I heard it all the time. But I'll be honest with you, probably till I was 10, 11, 12 years old, Christmas meant gifts for me. And I was excited about them. And yes, I knew the story, but it didn't have the meaning. I remember, some of you will. I see some who don't have as much hair as they used to have. That means you'll remember this. Some of you are older, have some gray in your hair, but I remember somewhere along, I think it was about August or September of every year, the Sears and Roebuck Christmas catalog would show up at our house. <laughs> yeah, some of you looked at that thing too. And I remember laying in front of the stove in our kind of kitchen living area or on the couch on my bed in my bedroom and spending hours. I occasionally had to share that book with my little brother. Not happy about that till this day. <laughs> I like looking at that book. We didn't have a TV and I would spend hours dreaming over that book. Even so much as some of the clothes they had some Levi's jeans, and in the late 70s, there were bell bottoms with embroidery on them. I actually had a pair of those, pretty cool. They didn't get them for Christmas, but Sears and Roebuck catalog. I remember looking at the guns, they had BB guns, they had air rifles, 22s. Uh, you could buy a go kart from Sears and Roebuck, you could order it. All the ball. I, my first word in my life was not mama or dada. It was ball. And I would look at the ball stuff. And I had a ball glove, but they had better ones. The really neat Rawlings ball gloves with the closed-in pocket. Baseballs, bats, shoes. I like to look at their shoes. But, man, then we would get into the remote control cars or the electric cars. The racetrack and eventually my dad bought me a racetrack for christmas two lanes slotted we could make different configurations and in the sears and rollback catalog you didn't you could order not just the two cars that came with it but you could order extra cars you could pick out your car and i would sit and dream i loved it man that that book it was worn out by the time christmas got there and my parents would give me gifts and some of them, I'm sure, came from there. or Some of my wish lists from there. But uh, I, I never remember being disappointed by Christmas. But I loved looking at that Sears and Roebuck catalog. But as I got older, I began to realize there really is more to Christmas. And while I had heard it, I had never experienced it. I'd never experienced the loss of a loved one. But then I had a family member or a friend that passed away, and what happened to them? Where were they? Where are they gone? And what was? And it became it came home. And we began to realize, oh my goodness, there's more to this story. There's more to the Christmas story than just me getting gifts. I begin to have children, and now I give the gifts, and I learned and begin to understand the joy of giving rather than receiving. And I loved that. I loved doing for my children all the things that had been done for me and or more. And now I got grandbabies. And boy, is Christmas fun there, giving gifts. Not just receiving, but now giving. But in that timeline of life, God began to speak, and He began to work on me And I began to understand more about the meaning for the season, the real meaning for the season. And understanding that the birth of Christ was, yes, the gift, but it really was the beginning of the gift that continues to give. It was just the start. You see, Jesus' birth was just the beginning of a whole series of events that became The gift. And we fast forward as I begin to study and to understand in life, 33 years later we find Jesus hanging on a cross between two thieves. You wonder how can that be part of the gift? Understand Herod in the scripture I just read called the chief priest and the scribes together to try to figure out where Jesus was going to be born. And they're the ones that told him. And yet they completely missed it. They're the ones that began to chase him and felt like they had won when they had him on a cross and were killing him. They missed it. And I think that's a warning to us to take it a look at and examine our lives and make sure we don't miss the reason for the season. That we really spend some time not just getting caught up in the hustle and the bustle and the going to parties and, and shopping and paying the bills and the stress of, you know, this family member doesn't like this family member. Can we get together? What day can we get to? All of the things that go into all of the holidays. We need to take time to understand and remember the reason for the season, and the fact that it is just the beginning of the gift. Because 33 years later, after Jesus was born, we suddenly find that they pursued Him and they have Him hanging on a cross between two thieves. And when we see this, a culmination and a coming together and a finish of this gift provided for us, we find Jesus here in Luke 23 verses 38 through 43, we find Jesus hanging on the cross. They've they've chased Him. They've been after Him. They've falsely accused Him. He's innocent. He's not done what they've said He did. And yet they're killing Him. And it says, an inscription also was written over Him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. And it said, this is the King of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, talking about the other thief, answering, rebuked him saying, do you not even fear God seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Even the thieves recognized that he was innocent. The whole countryside recognized it. As I studied this, I realized the whole world knew that Jesus was innocent. But there were some people that were being questioned. Their power was being threatened. And they had gone after Jesus. They wanted him. And here he was. The man continued on. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And here we find Jesus at the culmination of what he was sent to do. Here we find Jesus doing the work that he was sent, finishing up, focused, so under stress that he had bled, as it were, great drops of blood, trying to get across the finish line. And as he approaches it, One more man says, remember me. And Jesus took the time, took time out for one more person. And if you're here this morning and you've never been saved, Jesus will take the time for one more person. He'll take the time for you. And he took the time and he said, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. What comforting words. To a dying man. To have Jesus who is like you hanging on a cross dying. And God takes the time. Jesus takes the time to comfort him and to send him uh, into heaven. When we see that the thief began to have faith. We begin, the, the thief immediately was saved. As soon as he began to show faith he began to reflect Jesus Christ immediately. It didn't take days, weeks, months. He didn't have to go through a trial. But when the man began to show faith, immediately he began to reflect Christ. We began to see how he rebuked and testified to his faith. Now if you read the other scriptures, the other uh, accounts, it talks about how the thieves with him reviled him it would seem that this man had been reviling him up until the point that he accepted Jesus as the Savior and began to testify to the man that was with him. I found that amazing. You see, this man wasn't there by accident. Where Jesus was at was not that big of a place, and he traveled around. Chances are, at some point in time, Jesus... Had met this man. They might have passed in the same place and maybe they didn't. The Bible doesn't tell this. It's out of the book of Tony. But there's a good chance that he may have passed it and Jesus may have given him a kind look, knowing he was an outlaw, he was a thief. But having compassion on him and you knowing at some point in time. We see that these uh, two men, they knew who Jesus was. Everybody in the community, everybody everywhere, no matter your level uh, in the community. You knew about Jesus. You had heard about him. And this man wasn't here by accident. It was his appointed time. Isn't that amazing? Jesus has an appointed time for each one of us. And this morning might be yours. He doesn't guarantee us the next time. But the gift had been given. Jesus was the sacrifice and he was giving us himself. Isn't it amazing that even a common thief knew that Jesus was innocent? They were blinded to what was going on. And Jesus revealed himself. And I want to take a look at what that reflection and what that revealing, how the thief would go from reviling to Jesus to recognizing him as his Savior to then testifying to his fellow thief that quick. And what that reflection is. You see, he was reflecting Christ to that man. He was reflecting the sacrifice to his fellow thief. And he did it immediately after he was essentially saved. Jesus said, I'll see you in paradise today. That man's life, everything about him forgiven in an instant. And now to spend eternity. Isn't it amazing that short little testimony, that short little life for Jesus. And yet 2,000 years later we're talking about it and he's been enjoying heaven all this time. He came that close to missing it. But Jesus had an appointed time. And not only did he experience salvation, but he reflected Christ back to his fellow man. His, the, the thief, the ex the second thief with him, had a second chance. His fellow thief had recognized and accepted Jesus and had turned his heart to him. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verses 15 through 18, it says, Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lays over their hearts. It's referring back to when Moses climbed the mountain, and God gave him the Ten Commandments. When he came back down, his face shone shone so brightly that they asked him to cover it and to veil it. And essentially what he's saying is the veil is over the sinner's heart. They can't see Jesus. They can't see him for who he is. But, verse 16, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And if you're saved here today, you can attest to that. When you turn to Christ, when you recognize your sin, your state and your helpless mess and turn to Christ, He immediately lifts the veil and begins to uh, fill you and you begin to reflect the brightness that comes from Him. Jesus, I don't think they don't steal it. (laughs) But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. When the veil is removed, We begin to see as though in a mirror. We begin to see the reflection of Jesus to us. We then in turn are to reflect Jesus. In other words, the world should look upon us but essentially not see us. But see Christ in us. How can this be done? How, and, and really as I begin to study this and I've seen this about the mirror, I mean, okay, how is a mirror made? What does that mean? And I begin to look through it, um, to study it and I can't wait to share it with you. First, I don't know if you know this, but glass isn't just made out of glass. Glass is made from sand. Imagine walking down the beach and just scooping up sand and there's your mirror. But the fact is, sand makes glass. Or it takes sand to make glass. There's another chemical that's mixed with it. But sand in itself doesn't do you any good. It has to be sifted and it has to be cleaned up. It then has to be put into a kiln. It's put in heated Until it turns to a molten liquid, it then has to be poured out. And if it's poured out and it's black or there's impurities messed up, it's essentially start over again. And as we begin to look through it, it became very apparent that we, as Christians, why they would talk about seeing Christ reflected through a mirror. We are the glass. As a Christian, we are that glass. But at times in life, it feels like you've been scooped up and you're being sifted out. At times, things are rough and we don't understand. God, what is going on? Why would you put me through this? Why would you sift me this way? Essentially on a screen being sifted through to clean the impurities out. Boy, doesn't that sound like a Christian life? Or maybe you've been put in a kiln You've been put in a pot, you've been put in the fire, and it's hot, and things are rough. I can tell you as I look back over my life, I can see, I, I, can, I can very quickly point out to you the problems, the financial issues, the, you know, the lost job, or the, the disappointment, or things that happen in life. I can point those out real quick, and it feels like you're being sifted, or melted down, or poured out. But then, a time like last Wednesday night, I was in a hurry to get to church, and as I raised my garage door to back out, up the driveway came the FedEx man. Probably happened at your house too, right? As he came into the garage, I had him set down the the parcel he brought in, and he he turned to me and he said, "Do you have a glass of water?" And as I've thought back since, all I can think of is the water at the the woman at the well. He said, "If you got a bottle of water, I'm so thirsty." And I said, "Buddy, I just drank the last bottle of water in my house, but I've got an old refrigerator here, and you can have any pop you want. What do you want? I've got three or four different kinds." He picked out a can. I gave him another one. I said, and he stopped, and he began to talk to me. And I realized all of a sudden there was a young man that was hurting. And we talked about the struggles in life and was able to testify to him. And we, next thing I know, he's running for his truck and he's coming back and we're trading phone number. Goes, man, I need to call and talk to you. And I thought, no, you don't need to talk to me. You need God. And we're able to testify to him and to share. Listen, I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't looking for it. But we have to be the reflection. What does the world see when they look at you? Is your glass dim? Is it smoked up? Is it scratched? Is it scuffed? Does it need to be polished? What is happening in your life and what reflection is the world seeing? You see, Jesus gave the sacrifice and He could go and get anyone and do anything He wants to. But He has chosen you and I as Christians to spread His Word, to share the gift. And the real reason for the season, the real gift that is to be shared here is Christ reflected in your life. You see, the world here can't see Jesus there, but they can see the reflection of Him. and They're watching you and I when you feel like you're being sifted, when you feel like you're being burnt down, when you feel like you're being poured out, maybe, just maybe, you're being prepared. I think that's what's going on. If you're a Christian, God has a plan. If you're not, He offers the opportunity. And today is one of those opportunities. God is preparing us And he's preparing us for what? Let's say you've been a Christian for a while, and all of a sudden, what's going on? Why am I going through all of these problems? I believe it's this. I'm absolutely convinced. He's preparing you to better reflect him. See, the struggles in life are to better prepare us, to make a brighter reflection. Maybe there's someone you're going to meet. Maybe somebody's going to come up your driveway. And are you going to be able to reflect Christ to them? This season, in this time, there is no better gift that you can give than to reflect Christ to a lost and dying world, a jaded, a over-commercialized world that would, really needs to know what the real reason for the season is. There's a lost and dying world out there, and if somebody doesn't reflect Christ to them, if someone isn't that reflection into a dark world, they'll die. Split hell wide open. It's up to you and I to be that reflection of Christ. The world looks at us and what do they see? It doesn't take me long to get it said. Worship team, would you come? This Christmas season, we need to ask ourselves, who does the world see in me? Who am I reflecting? Do they see us stressed out, overwhelmed, running to and fro, chasing The commercial Christmas. Listen, nothing wrong with giving gifts. Not one thing. But are you reflecting Christ?